welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of St. Louis Skincare, Ellie Seymour. The wheels of Ellie Seymour's career journey were set in motion when she was a child with a very specific dream of wearing surgeon scrubs. Ellie decided she wanted to be a cosmetic nurse when she was just a teenager, convincing her parents to allow her to study a diploma of makeup in lieu of year 12. Her reason was a pragmatic one. When she turned 18, she'd be able to enrol as a nurse, and a beauty qualification would allow her to freelance on the weekends to supplement the cost of the nursing course. In 2019, with several years and even more qualifications beneath her belt, Ellie opened and funded her own clinic in a similarly pragmatic way, electing to continue working as a registered nurse in her local hospital simultaneously to save money, build relationships and maintain those acute nursing skills. In March 2020, only a few months in and with a client waitlist close to 150 people long, the pandemic forced Ellie to close the clinic's doors indefinitely. Where many would understandably crumble, Ellie used the unknown to her advantage. She used the clinic's social media platforms to cultivate a reputation for herself as an industry authority. She took a permanent position at the hospital, the more secure income from which allowed her to fund her next project, and she underwent further study in cosmetic formulations. In August 2022, the aforementioned project came to life. St. Louis Skincare, a topical skincare brand that Ellie runs alongside her well and truly up and running again Louvre Skin Clinic. In this conversation, Ellie shares her take on going all in with a startup versus maintaining a secondary source of income, when and why to allocate budget to outsourcing elements of the business that aren't your areas of expertise, and why being a forward-facing founder has been of such great benefit when it comes to brand education. Ellie, we start every conversation with the very same question, so let's go right back to the beginning. What is your very earliest memory of beauty? My earliest memory of beauty is probably when I was very young, probably three years old. I used to do calisthenics and I used to remember being backstage doing stage makeup, which included the, I think it was Maybelline pan stick foundation and a Revlon red lipstick. And my mom used to do it. And then we'd go home and I'd use a cleanser or makeup wipes to remove it all. And I just remember feeling so empowered by wearing this face of makeup that probably looked awful, (laughs) but that's probably my earliest memory of anything beauty. I have the same exact first memory and we had to do either bright blue or bright green eyeshadow. Yes. Most of the group were doing the blue. So I was like, I'm going to be different and do green. I thought, yes. Oh, green. This is, this is my foray <laughs> into the world of beauty, how times have changed. What did you I want to be that. when you grew up? I know that you started studying beauty therapy around 2008 I know that you're you were an enrolled nurse by 2010 if research serves me but when you were a child what did you want to be I distinctly remember I wanted to be a doctor or or a vet but yep it was always a doctor and I think I just liked the idea of being able to help people or really have an impact on people I liked the idea of wearing scrubs in surgery or like 
um, yeah, I just had this vision and thoughts that I would always be a doctor. Wow. <laughs> so by my understanding, you enrolled in your Cert 3 in beauty therapy, mm-hmm. then you got your diploma, became an enrolled nurse, got your certificate in dermoscopy, bachelor in nursing, literally every single step along that education journey makes so much sense when you look at where you are now, which is so interesting to me because I've spoken <laughs> to so many founders with journeys that aren't anywhere near that linear. So if we rewind, rewind sorry, back to that first course just ahead of 2008, mm-hmm. did you know exactly where you wanted to end up or were you still kind of figuring it out? I knew I really loved beauty. I had like this real passion for it, even when I was young and I loved putting the makeup on to go on stage and things. I knew that that's what I was really passionate and drawn to. So in 2008, when I did the certificate three in beauty, I was still at high school and I did it on the side and I just loved it. But when I finished that certificate, I got a job part-time in a nail salon Mm. and I used to do manicures and pedicures and acrylic nails. It all was then. And I actually met a lady in the nail salon one day who told me about cosmetic nursing. And I was like, the minute she told me, I was like, that is exactly what I'm going to do. And she, and I remember thinking when she left, I wonder how you become a cosmetic nurse. And I called, I was like all of 16, I called a plastic surgeon's office in Geelong where I lived and was like, how do I become one of the nurses that work in your clinic? And he was like, well, you need to start off as a nurse. That's the first Mm -hmm. step. So I was like, mum, enroll me in doing my nursing, but I was only 16. So I knew that I only had to become an enrolled nurse at that time to do cosmetic nursing, which was a TAFE course. But I was 16, so I had a year or so until I could get into that. And I somehow convinced my mum and dad to let me do a diploma of makeup instead of year 12. Yeah. So that I could go straight into nursing and do makeup on the weekends to support myself during my nursing course. Wow. And then it it all sort of eventuated from there. But I think I was really lucky when I was 16 year old years old to meet that lady that told me about it. And my eyes and mind just completely lit up. So what do you think it was about cosmetic nursing that you were drawn to as opposed to another area of beauty? I think it was that I've always been really question the why about things. Like I need to know on the deeper level why we're doing things or the anatomy behind things or the biology and then there was that child inside of me that wanted to be the doctor as well so I had this passion for beauty but then this drive to know more Mm -hmm. so I think when she told me about that I mean I'd never heard of doing that but it's like my two worlds had collided into one job and I was like it's literally me this is totally me you opened your skin clinic, now named the Louvre Skin Clinic, but originally called the Aesthetic Society in Geelong mm. in August 2019. Had your dream, since that encounter with that woman, had your dream always been to open your own clinic or did you see a gap in the market once you were working and thought I could fill that gap? I think it eventuated again. I first got my, I got a job in cosmetic nursing at a clinic in Geelong and I worked there for about three years or so. And I just loved what I was doing. I ended up leaving there and thought, what will I do next? I obviously want to stay in this industry. There was a lot of things that I wanted to do my way. I wanted to attract a certain um, type of client. I wanted to have my clinic set up how, you know, I wanted it. And I thought the only way I can really do what I really want to do is to have my own space. 
So it all sort of eventuated, but it took me about a year to set up my clinic because I needed to save and I needed to find the right place. So it was all a bit of a snowball effect from leaving that first job. Let's talk about that year that it took you to set up the space. How did you physically go about opening your own skin clinic? How did you go about finding the right space, finding the right stuff that fit with your own ethos around skin and around beauty and of course, funding it. You mentioned that you spent that time saving. Mm-hmm. Did you did you have any investors? How did you physically go about it? I didn't have any investors. I wanted to set it up all myself. So because I was a nurse, I did my nursing, always worked in cosmetic nursing, but I actually always worked on the hospital, at the hospital on the side to maintain those acute nursing skills. And so I worked at the hospital where we live in Geelong and for about 12 months, I'd work five days a week at the hospital, save some money whilst I was working up the relationships with doctors to work with. I was sourcing a space and I would look everywhere all the time on Gumtree and where all these places were advertising realestate.com for a place to, to have. And I had really particular I had a really particular idea of where I wanted the clinic and what I wanted the clinic to be like. I really wanted it like a medical aesthetic clinic. So I really wanted to look in that there's a real medical precinct of Geelong as well near the hospital and emergency and things like that. And I was really lucky that a spot came up in a medical clinic that is right in the location that I wanted and there was a room available and it's a serviced clinic. So it's this beautiful looking clinic, but There's a receptionist that came with the room. Um, It was perfect, although I wasn't ready. I was like three, six months away from being ready. And I thought, I'll just go and look at the space and see if I like it. And, you know, it's one of those things. I went and I was like, I love it. It's perfect. I need to have it, but I'm not ready. I was like, what will I do? And I thought, I'll just do it. And it was one day a week I started. So they actually allowed me to lease the room one day a week and they'd lease it to other people on other days. So I started working a Thursday for the first month and by four weeks I took over the room full time. Oh, my God. It was like, well, there was room available and it was the only, it was the last room available. So they had a lot of other people looking at the room and if there was an opportunity for someone else to take it over full time, they could give it to them and I could lose the room. So I was like, everything's fine. Like I already had a clientele. I'd been in the industry for three or four years already Mm. And social media is so great that people found me. Word of mouth was amazing that I took another leap and took the room on full time. But I actually still worked at the hospital three days a week whilst working at the clinic two or three days a week as well. So I worked out how much money I sort of needed as a buffer to order all the goods in every week and pay the rent and things like that. And I just made sure that I I worked at the hospital and that covered all my overheads for my personal and work. And then when I'd go to work, there was no incentive that I had to make X amount of money Mm. because the hospital paid for every, my hospital work paid for everything. So I think that really set me up well because I only did what was ever best for the client. There was no motivation to be like, well, maybe we'll do this today because I need to earn X Mm. amount to pay the rent. So I think I could really work within my values uh, rather than any other motivation that which really really had a good impact when I first opened 
You raise an interesting point because starting before you're ready seems to be something that comes up a bit. What would you say, obviously it worked out because you'd take it over the room Mm. within four weeks, but what would you say were some of the benefits, but on the flip side, some of the challenges of starting before you felt that you were ready? I think, yeah, there's never a really right time to do things. So it wasn't probably, I was ready. It was just more like I'm such an organized person that I wanted everything in line the day I opened. And I don't even think I'd really opened it, like started my Instagram page properly. So it was always like, am I going to have enough clients? Am I, are people even going to make a booking with me? Um, I think the benefit was that the room was available and it just had to happen. And I'm so glad it happened that way. And to be honest, there was really, really probably no disadvantages. I already had a job at the hospital. So it was more just the push that was like, just do it. What advice would you give to anyone else who is looking to start their own bricks and mortar business in any industry, not specifically beauty, Mm -hmm. and is unsure about how to physically get things off the ground? I think I've had this conversation with a lot of clients and other um, nurses and beauticians that about starting their own business and where to start. But my advice would definitely be the way I did it made me feel so less financially stressed in that I had my main job at the hospital, which provided the income that I needed to pay my mortgage and pay my rent and stuff at the clinic. And then everything else you weren't was not under pressure. So I always tell everyone, if you're starting something up, go and get a job that's a steady income stream and then do that whilst you're setting up your business and then level it out as you get busier, drop a day, and then you'll eventually be able to shift over. I think another really good word of advice that I got was as soon as I opened my clinic, I got a really good accountant and they set everything up for me. I didn't have to worry about how much I was putting away for tax and GST and things like that. And I think a lot of businesses fail in the first 12 months and five years because of literally those reasons. So a steady income stream from something else and a good accountant would definitely be my tips. Thank you for saying that because I feel like there is, maybe this is just from where I'm sitting, but there is often this push from people saying, you know, if you don't put a hundred percent into your new business, then it's just going to fail. It There's a great deal of privilege that comes with that to be able to say, you know what, I'm just going to quit everything and I'm just going to start my own thing and we'll see what happens. <laughs> if you've got overheads, if you've got yeah. a family, if you've got a mortgage, if you need to put food on the table, it is not that simple. You need to have yes. money. Yep. Yep. And you don't want to like, I'm such an organized person and I, I don't usually get that stress, but I literally have this strategy that I do with life. It's like, if I could be as organized as possible and think ahead about what could go wrong and have a little plan for that, then I'm not that stressed doing things. Exactly. So this it's is- so much better. It's so much better doing it that way and starting a business because owning a business is stressful. Mm. And even if you have a part-time job on the side, like I did at the hospital, working at the hospital is kind of stressful as well, but it relieves that financial pressure and then you can be the practitioner or you can be the business owner that you want to be without being driven to be like, I've got to make this money. This is exactly how I live life, The more, not to make it about me, but the more organised you are, the more yep. relaxed you can be. Yeah, yeah. And then people like people sometimes be like, oh, you know, everything looks like it's, it's easy for you or it always works out for you and it's like, oh, I'm, I work pretty hard and I'm also very strategically organised and it looks like everything sort of just flows, but I work really hard at the start to make sure things are set up well. 
Yeah, it's that analogy mm. of the duck just going yes. so fast under the water <laughs> and then on the surface you're like, yeah, this is fine. Yes, yes that's so me. Yeah, that's, that's how to run a business. Ordinarily, I would ask you about any lessons that you picked up during that first year in business as there's always a multitude of challenges to overcome during that time, attracting new clients, how to market the business, managing staff, cash flow, so on and so forth. However, I imagine your first year came with some very different challenges given you opened the doors only a few months before we entered into lockdown. Mm -hmm. Talk me through that year. How were those first few months when you were open and kicking? Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. did things change when we hit 2020 and how did you stay afloat both physically and mentally? Mm-hmm. So I opened in the August of 2019. So I had, what's that, like four months before yeah, yeah. the end of the year. Mm. And that went really well. I was obviously in a really, really, really big brand building stage, but I had a steady stream of friends and family and people who knew me in Geelong that wanted treatments. And I was really only working two days a week at that time. So everything was going great then. And then COVID, we started hearing about COVID in January and February. And I think our first lockdown, if I remember correctly, was in March. Yeah. And I think that first lockdown was something like 11 weeks or it was a lot. I can't remember totally, but it was a lot. And of course, my clinic was non-essential. So that was really hard. But I was lucky in a way that I didn't actually have any staff. It was just me as the practitioner and I rented the space. So my overheads could have been a lot larger. And I think a lot of other businesses overheads were larger, but we were always very unpredictable times and we didn't really know how long lockdowns and things were going for. So I actually went and got a permanent position three days a week as an anesthetic nurse in surgery at the private hospital here in Geelong in Epworth. So I was really lucky again that my I kept up those acute nursing skills and I was really employable. So I worked three days a week in surgery and that was really stressful working in um, the hospital at that time when COVID was around and we we're all wearing N95 masks and we didn't know what was going on and surgery lists were getting cut and things. And I think I was closed. I think there was 17 weeks of that year that I was closed in the clinic and then every time I'd come back and there'd be this space of two or three weeks where I'd open, I'd have so many bookings and people that would want to come in. I think it was due to a few different reasons. I think the first was that, you know, when you can't have something, you want it more. Yep. Definitely. And I think also the, have you heard of the lipstick effect? Yes, I have. Yes, absolutely. That definitely worked to my benefit in that, people weren't going on holidays and they weren't getting married and they weren't doing all these big things that they would invest in a small luxury treatment that made them feel good in a time where there wasn't a lot of greatness around. For anyone listening who maybe isn't aware of the lipstick effect, that is historically whenever there's been a recession or anything of that ilk, beauty sales, specifically lipstick, mm. skyrockets. But mm. I think with COVID it was it was skin, I think, because we were all yes. looking at ourselves on Zoom yeah. going, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely like there was so many. So there was the you couldn't have it and now you want it. There was like people had maybe this little bit of income that they were going to other bigger things that they could have to spend. But also I think it was it was just the timing too. I was in a really building stage and the 
word of mouth for me was amazing. I never even paid for any advertising with my clinic and people were just putting themselves on a wait list to come and see me. And I think everything because we do with the skin is so visual. People are like, hey, you look so good. What have you done? And they're like, well, I know this girl. (laughs) Put yourself on the waiting list. But yeah, I think that year, it was definitely hard. But again, I sort of set myself up. I'm like, all right, well, I can't work at the clinic. What am I going to do? I'll go work at the hospital where I'm an essential worker, the job's secure, and I'll go back to the clinic where where I can. You mentioned the wait list. You had, I think, over 150 clients on Mm. that wait list waiting to get in as soon as, you know, laws permitted. I know that a lot of businesses did see a drop off after that period. This might be a difficult question to answer because it's one you kind of have to remove yourself from. But what do you think it was about your approach to skin and to beauty and even to business overall that ensured your client list remained intact over that time? I think, I mean, it's really hard to know. I guess I'll never truly know, but I think it was probably how I took the times in lockdown was like, okay, well, I can't see clients. What can I do? I sort of tried to focus on what I could do, what not, what I couldn't do. And I did heaps of Instagram stories and education pieces to be like, all right, well, you can't get your in, uh, treatment skin clinics. Here's how to look for a retinol and here's how to use a retinol properly. Or here's how, what to look for with a vitamin C. And I spoke heaps about things that you could do to your skin at home, um, little skin treatments, facial massage, like all these things that you could you could still do in those times. And I think people really responded to the educational piece as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably like to think it, it was that. The, I mean, the clinic is well and truly back up and running now. It's rare that we get to speak to a founder who has as much client facing experience as they do behind the scenes running the business. You're obviously doing both. I would love to ask you about the client side of things on that side. What are some trends in that space that you're seeing trends from an aesthetic perspective rather than industry trends, which we'll get to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are your clients asking for? I think it's funny what sort of a clients you attract. I think mm-hmm. all of my clients that come to me are looking for uh, prevention in wrinkle treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's definitely got to focus on skin and skin health. So they want to look like their skin looks really glowing and dewy. I think there has been a lot of movement or shift since COVID in congestion and breakouts as well as perioral dermatitis from mask wear so there's been a lot of education around that piece and using actives um another interesting treatment that i've been doing so much more now than before covid is um teeth grinding treatments yeah i think a lot of people have had so much stress and um yeah, that they're clenching and grinding and doing all this subconscious stress behavior. That That is definitely a treatment that's picked up a lot. But apart from that, there's this real focus on skin now that people just want to look like their skin, their makeup looks really smooth and definitely wrinkle prevention. Would you say that those, I mean, there are things that were sort of COVID specific to mask wearing and stress, but mm-hmm. would you say that overall the skin concerns that you're being presented with have changed much from when you first entered the beauty industry or has that stayed pretty consistent? I think it's stayed pretty consistent. Like there has been a shift in 
I think when I first started, everyone wanted to cover their skin up, right? Like it was like more makeup, the better. And like people wanted really heavy eye makeup. And there was a lot of breakouts and congestion with the use of a lot of makeup and things. There's definitely been a shift in that, in that people want to wear less makeup because they want their skin to look radiant and healthy. So that's been a, that's definitely been a shift. But I think people still have concerns with pigmentation and breakouts and wrinkles and things. So I think, and people probably for the foreseeable future are going to have those same concerns Mm. too. So although some things have changed, I think the core concerns that people have have remained the same. It was in August of 2022 that you launched your own skincare brand, St. Louis Skincare. Mm -hmm. How long prior to that launch did you decide that you wanted to develop your own products? What was the gap in the market that you had identified? It was actually the year before COVID hit. So it was 2019, the same year that I opened my clinic, that I thought I really wanted to create a skincare line. And the reason was was because I've become this source of information for people that come to me in my clinic or they're my clients or even friends and family or people I used to go to high school with will message me and be like, I didn't know who else to ask, but where do I get a good sunscreen from? Or where do I do this? And I've always been, I've always given advice on skin and products and all of this, but I've always thought, you know, this is a really good product in their range, but then go and get this product from a different brand. And I've always like curated different brands in what I believe is a really good lineup of skincare. And previous to 2019, I didn't mention this, but I was studying to get into medicine. I was nearly going to go a whole different career. I was, um, I studied for like 12 months to sit the medical entry exam. And there was a lot of chemistry and biology study and tutoring that I did. And I ended up sitting that exam and I failed by two points and then COVID hit. And I was like, you know, this makes me really unhappy doing, doing all this study and something that I don't really think, I always thought I wanted to do it, but maybe I don't. And I thought, no, I'm not going to go back and do that. But now I had all this chemistry knowledge that I could apply to skincare formulations. And the more I knew, the more I was like, I could do this. I can completely understand a formulation. And then I was looking at, you know, products I was using or products I was recommending and thought, this is really great, but why is the packaging like this? And it just made me question a lot. And I think the more I knew, the more I could be like, I could do this. And I still had this demand of people and clients being like, I trust you, Ali, what do you recommend? So that's how St. Louis sort of came about. And me knowing, needing to know the why and um, understanding everything to a T, I was like, okay, if I'm going to formulate a skincare brand, I need to know everything. So I studied cosmetic formulations in that year of COVID whilst I worked at the hospital in anesthetics. And I thought, (laughs) I thought, if I'm going to formulate it, I need to know exactly what I'm doing. I still employed in that year a, a formulator with experience, but having that knowledge from the course that I did actually gave me really good power in understanding what we were doing and understanding exactly what I wanted. So, yeah, it was 2019. It obviously took me a really long time to do because we formulated the four serums completely from scratch. So there's no other product on the market that has our formulations but it also meant that I needed to get it right. And then you get it right on paper with the chemist that I was working with and we were really happy. And then she sends me a sample and all of this is over like four or five months. 
And then you're like, oh, well, that's not how I imagined. It's like really sticky or it has this funny scent to it. And we'd go back and forth and develop that. And I think that went over about 18 months. And then I was like, well, now I've developed these formulations and I'm really happy with them, but do they work at the same time Mm -hmm. too? So then we did six months of trials with some of my clients from the clinic and trialing the skincare and giving us feedback every week and before and after photos to make sure that what I'd created actually did what I wanted and it gave a result as well, which I was so glad I did those trials because when we went to market, I knew the product was good and I knew everyone was going to get great results from it. So how did you physically work through those steps? How did you find that chemist? How did you fund the business? Again, was that just savings? How did you work through those steps to physically bring a physically physical product to market? Mm-hmm. The first step was finding the formulator. Mm-hmm. And that was really challenging because I knew again what I wanted. And I had lots of meetings with different people around Australia, lots of manufacturers and lots of different private cosmetic formulators. And I probably met with about three or four people and I left the meeting and was like, they're not my vibe. I don't think mm-hmm. they I don't think they can fully understand what I want or the direction I want to go with St. Louis. And I think about the fifth or sixth person that I met with, I immediately vibed with her. I was like, this is absolutely my person. We spoke for like an hour and a half on the phone about all my ideas about these four serums and she was really excited. So I knew she was the one to go with. That was the first step. And then the second big step was packaging. And packaging is really hard because it's so overwhelming. But I knew I wanted airless packaging. I didn't want to go in the plastic Um, direction but I also didn't want to go in the refillable direction as well so I had like this niche of what I wanted and I would just spend all of lockdowns that was the other good thing about lockdowns was like okay I'm not as busy in my clinic right now I'm working three days a week at the hospital but I've got four other days to work on St. Louis and the formulations and packaging so I got samples sent to me and again, it was COVID. So everything was so delayed, like to get a sample took a month and then it's like, well, I don't like that. And then it'd be another month. So that was all a little bit challenging and things probably would have happened a lot faster if COVID didn't exist. But in hindsight, I didn't rush anything and made sure everything was perfect before we launched. So those were the two big sort of steps. The next step was of course funding and with packaging and when you're doing your first batch of filling there's minimum quantities, right, that you're Mm -hmm. filling. And they're a lot. So I was like, how am I going to do this? And I thought, I don't want to have any investors. I want to own this business myself. And I thought, I don't care how long it takes me. I'll just save from my clinic what I'm doing. I saved, I knew how much it would cost in total to do. Well, I sort of had a rough idea and I just saved a certain amount every week. And it took from 2019 to 2022 to launch St. Louis. So that's like three, it was like two and a half years Mm. of saving, but I completely self-funded St. Louis, which is like wild to me that I did that. But I used my clinic that did really well because I loved what I did to support something else, which was really great and something I'm really proud of. As you should be. For those who aren't across it, can you talk us through the packaging? I have a huge note that I wrote down in front of me saying the packaging in capital letters. (laughs) So talk us through it. So the packaging is airless packaging, but it's this patented technology that has this eco lock system. So it's a little glass bottle that's all frosted and beautiful, Mm -hmm. but it has this negative pressure valve sort of on the inside 
that every time you pump your product, it squeezes neg like through negative pressure and pumps your product out. The reason I wanted airless packaging is that we're using antioxidants, which are really prone to degrading when exposed to oxygen and sunlight and warm temperatures. So packaging was really important to me. The good thing about our packaging is that the glass is infinitely recyclable, which is great. And when you are finished, your plastic pump can pull out and you can put the glass with the glass recycling and plastic with the plastic. So it's a really good way of protecting and making sure that your formula is going to work for you the whole three, four, five months that you've got your bottle open. And that was another question that I had a lot come up in COVID. It's like, why is my serum turning brown or why is this sort of happening? And that would even reinforce my idea of like St. Luke has to be airless. Mm. Absolutely. It all makes so much sense when you think about having packaging that can be mm. separated in that way, having it airless, but easier said than done, I imagine. <laughs> yes, it was. It absolutely was. But the packaging, I'm so happy with it. And the feedback that we've got is so brilliant. So it is really, really good. And I love how it has this negative pressure valve on the inside, which is great. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. The range consists of four serums. Can you talk us through the range and also why you chose to launch with four serums as opposed to, say, four products from different categories? Mm -hmm. So the first serum that we formulated was the vitamin B3, B5 and hyaluronic acid serum. My philosophy around this serum was that I want it, vitamin B is one of the best ingredients that you can use in your skin or vitamin B3 in particular. But I wanted to make sure that your morning skincare routine didn't consist of five serum applications. So we made this serum one when technically it's it's really like a three in one serum because those B3, B5 and HA is all full strength. Mm -hmm. So that's a morning and night serum that has a beautiful, luxurious sort of serum texture. And that was probably, to be honest, the hardest to formulate because vitamin B is actually very naturally sticky. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it to have this velvet feel. I actually remember writing on the brief to the chemist that it must feel luxurious. And I went back honestly like 20 times with formulations and like, it's not luxurious enough. So that was our first serum. The next serum is the vitamin B, which is a 15% vitamin, oh, sorry, the vitamin C serum, 15% vitamin C, which is a little bit different to most vitamin Cs on the market with the vitamin C that we used. So we chose to use five different forms of vitamin C to equate to that 15% for a really stable and effective product. And it's really good in sensitive sort of skin types as well. Probably not really sensitive, but it's a lot more gentle than a high allascorbic pure vitamin C serum. Mm -hmm. And it's like this light creamy serum texture that goes on beautifully. The next serum is our retinol serum, which is a slow release retinol serum. So the reason why I chose to use an encapsulated version of retinol is that it slowly infuses over 24 hours to the skin. So less irritation to the skin. And it's also a really stable product as well, which is really important when creating St. Louve. And then the final product is our AHA BHA exfoliating serum which is pretty special, that product. Mm. It's like a little overnight facial treatment. You wake up in the morning and your skin's like velvet smooth. It's a mixture of alpha hydroxy acids and beta hydroxy acids. So it's really exfoliating, refining. It helps clear pores and congestion and blackheads and things like that. So that's a really powerful serum that should only really be used two or three times a week maximum. So the four serums 
is what I probably believe to be the only serums that you really need in your life. And I wanted to create St. Louis to be really easy to understand. There's not a whole lot of steps, but it's really powerful in its results. And I think we've been able to achieve that with those four serums. The reason why I started with four serums was because the serums in serums in general are what do all the work in your skin. They're like your powerhouse treatments. Heavy lifters. They're the heavy lifters. So they do everything. They're going to create the most change. And I thought launching a brand with some really powerful products, I think will get a lot more attention than maybe launching with a cleanser or a moisturizer, which is still essential skincare products. But I think people don't get as excited about those products because they probably aren't as results driven. And I think being a new brand in a really saturated, busy market, I needed to be able to make an impact on something. And I knew I could give before and afters of what our serums have been able to achieve. So it only felt right starting with those powerful four serums. The before and afters are what got my attention initially. Mm. I would love to talk social media with you because that is how I first became aware of the brand last year. I know that this is a little inside baseball. I know that you work with both a social media strategy agency and a PR agency. This is an area that I find a lot of people, particularly new founders, don't allocate budget to when they first launch and they think, okay, I can just do it all myself. Or at the very least, they'll do one and not the other. Why was outsourcing those elements so important to you? I think doing this course in cosmetic formulations and brand management really set me up to know how to launch a brand successfully or give me the recipe to successfully launch a brand. And I knew I needed help in strategy and graphic design and all these elements that go into designing your products and launching. But I'm a really big believer in I do what I'm good at, but I'll outsource the best in the industry to do what I'm not. It's the same, you know, like I said, with my accountant, it's like, I don't know how to do taxes and GST and make sure I'm paying enough. So I put people in these areas of my business that are good at what they do. So I can focus on what I'm good at. And I think that is definitely how I've been able to achieve what I have because I'm not trying to be everyone and I'm not like I'm the first one to say that there's some areas that I'm not good at and that's where I'll put someone. So I think that's really good advice as well for anyone that's starting up. And also I have my clinic too. So I don't have the time to be doing all of that as well as the knowledge, Mm. but I need to be able to focus on my clinic as well. So yeah, I was happy to put areas, people and money and my budget allocation into those areas so that I can get St. Louis to where I want it to be. I had this conversation with one of my girlfriends just the other day. She said, oh, I can do all of it. I can do this, this and this. And I said, yeah, but maybe you can, but should you? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. And I think I've been lucky in a way that I have been able to have my clinic that supported St. Louis. But also it's just that I'm not probably not great at those stuff. So I definitely prefer someone like my two agencies to manage what they're good at. You are a very forward-facing founder on socials, particularly because there is so much education involved with active skincare. Was being, you know, a, a visible founder always part of the plan and in what ways has that been of benefit? I don't know if it was always in the plan. I think it doesn't probably really come very natural to me. Like it's not like I'm a really forward-facing person naturally on social media, but 
in my clinic, I've been able to make really good rapports with people and really good relationships and trusting relationships where people come to me willingly for advice. And I think with St. Louis, I wanted to be able to re replicate those relationships, but on a wider scale and social media is the perfect platform to do that. So I think being a forward facing founder gives people that relatability and makes it me easily approachable to maybe ask questions or like, where do I start with your skincare routine? So I think people want to know who the founder is as well behind the brand. So it's definitely in our strategy, but it was it's more just to build a community and have that voice that's educational that you trust. While we're on social media, you have found yourself in a really fortunate position because your whole brand at this stage is really built around the idea that the skin does require different things at different times. We've seen skin cycling emerge as a huge, huge trend on social media in recent months, which is precisely that concept, but with a nice, easy mm. to digest kind of viral name. In as much or as little detail as you wish, what is skin cycling and why do you think it's taken off in such a viral way, despite having existed for such a long time? <laughs> I think that's a really good point in that it actually has been around a really long time, although it's only come to face in the last maybe 12 months on TikTok particularly, but it's been around for a long time. So for those who don't know what skin cycling is, it's this four night PM routine that you do with serums. And it, what it enables you to do is use your actives in a way that they're going to have their best result, but you're also allowing your skin two days to recover and hydrate. So you're allowing your skin barrier to remain intact and you're not overusing your actives and not overusing exfoliation, which I think a lot of people, particularly um, a few years ago and mm. beyond, were, were doing a lot. So Skin cycling, I'm like a firm believer that it's a really amazing trend. I've seen lots of trends come and go, but I think this is this one that's really, this is particularly special. Um, I think it's a dermatologist in America that's actually coined the term skin cycling. I can't remember her name, but it's an amazing trend that everyone should be doing. It's also really great for, it's advanced really skincare. And I think some people who maybe want a bit of a boost is you could drop one of the recovery nights and do a three nights rotating routine as well. So St. Louis products are also perfect for that. You'd use your exfoliating serum on day one, the retinol serum on day two, and then your vitamin B on days three and four. And then you just consistently rotate. It also allows consistency is key with skincare too. So if you're going to be really consistent, you're going to see results. So it's the perfect trend that's around at the moment. And I hope it stays. Love it. You have been a part of the beauty industry for a solid 15 years now. This is what happens when you start young and beg your parents in that time what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry I think mentioning um what I mentioned earlier in that when I probably first entered the industry everyone was covering their skin up and everyone wanted to contour and wear all this really heavy coverage and now there's been a really big shift in that people want to wear really minimum makeup and they want their skin to look really natural and glowy and they just want this healthy complexion i think that donut glaze trend and all these things that just are inspiring to have healthy looking skin i think another really big change that i've seen in 15 years is that consumers want to be educated and they know a lot. A lot of people know exactly what they're looking for in a retinol and what they're looking for in a vitamin C and how to use 
AHAs and BHAs, whereas I think 15 years ago people were sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll cleanse and I'll use a bit of a scrub on my face and then my makeup's where I put all my education into. So I think people are really, they want to know more and people are really educated, which is amazing to see as well. Yeah. And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the next few years? This is really exciting. I think probably there's going to be a lot more males entering the cosmeceutical skincare industry too. I think there already is. Even in my clinic, I'm seeing much more of an uptake of male clients as well because everyone wants that healthy skin. I think another interesting area that we're moving into is eye care. And I know this can be a little bit controversial because there is some people that don't believe in eye creams and things like that. But I know from experience, literally the number one concern people have when they come and see me is eye wrinkles Mm -hmm. or puffy eyes or darkness underneath the eyes. So I think everyone at the moment has had this real focus on congestion and perioral dermatitis and the skin barrier. And everyone's sort of got a real handle on that and a knowledge base on that. And then I think we'll move into a space of the next concern is eyes. So I hope that we move in that kind of direction, which would be really exciting. I know my biggest skin concern is eye wrinkles and um, puffiness. So I think that could be a really interesting way of moving forward. And I think the use of peptides in skincare will be really interesting as well. Mm, Peptides. God, Mm. we could do a whole other bonus episode (laughs) on peptides. Ellie, my final question, what is next for St. Louis Skincare? We have a really exciting year this year. We actually have quite a few products in development at the moment. So we'll have some product launches in the first half and last half of this year, which is really exciting. And our focus is still very much in a brand building and community building um, area. And I'm really excited to be able to share more and before and afters about people that have joined the St. Louis um, community as well. So there's lots to look forward to this year. That was Ellie Seymour, founder of St. Louis Skincare, which you can find on Instagram at St. Louis Skincare. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.